All right. Howdy. So welcome to September. Uh, and I hope that you guys uh, have felt welcome already by Aaron. And thank you so much to Robbie and Sue for, for sharing about the marriage course and to Aaron by giving a, a glimpse into some of the things going on in our community. And if you are, I want to add my welcome. If you are brand new to Jesus, we are really grateful that you're here. You know, I know that, that many of us in the room, it's kind of this is September, and we're trying this out, and we're going, okay, like, I haven't been to church in a very long time. I'm trying this out again, and I'm seeing if, if, um, if this is a place where I could encounter God. And, uh, and some of you are, maybe you've come with a friend, and you're brand new to Jesus, and you're going, I literally don't know hardly anything at all, but I'm here, and I'm, I'm ready to, to learn. And so we're so grateful you're here. Um, and I just want to say, as, we, as we're launching the next four weeks, these next four weeks, our, our, our vision series for the year. In September, we want to remind ourselves what we're all about. It's, it's to kind of hit the reset button and go, okay, why are we doing this? Like, what are we doing here as a family? And what is our church all about? And so we are going to take the next four weeks um, to, to recast the vision of who we believe Jesus or what we believe Jesus is doing among us. And so we're glad you're here. Um, our vision is to be a people apprenticed to the life of Jesus. And, and we're going to unpack that for the next four weeks. So you don't have to, if you're brand new, you don't have to understand it in its fullness, but we want to be a people apprenticed to the life of Jesus. Uh, and so let me pray and dedicate our time to him. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, you called um, a motley crew to, to follow you. A pretty diverse group of people. And you welcome them into your life. And here we are, uh, 21st century, city of Langley, you know, Western Canada, and, and the culture that we have, and the, um, the lives that we lead, and, and uh, it could feel very removed from, from you, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. But Jesus, we know you're here. And, and we know that as you did 2,000 years ago, as you've done for 2,000 years, that today you are calling a group of people to follow you, a group of messed up people, sinners, broken, in great need of mercy. And so we come and, and once again, together we say yes to your, to your invitation. Thank you for being here, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would move in the room. We thank you for your presence. We're delighted that you're here, that you're moving among us. Would you make us new? Would you pour the love of God into this place, into every heart in this place? We love you. Amen. All right. So what does it mean to be an apprentice? Well, in, in the Bible, if you uh, read the New Testament, you'll see uh, a word used quite often. It's the word disciple. Disciple, and it was a couple of years ago that we as a church uh, did a little in, uh, kind of like we polled people and, and we asked for a definition. When you hear the word disciple or discipleship, um, what do you think of? And, and I remember reading all the answers and they were just all over the place, all over the map of what it meant to be a disciple. And, and that's okay, I guess, but we were trying to figure out what do we mean when we, when, when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so we believe here at North Langley that the, that the best word in the English language to kind of capture what Jesus meant when Jesus talked about discipleship is the word apprentice or apprenticeship. 
that to follow Jesus, this is not just a head knowledge thing, just an intellectual thing, but that to follow Jesus means we come to know his truth, which is incredibly important, but that that actually changes us. It actually transforms our life, that it will transform our marriages, as you heard from Robbie and Sue earlier, it transforms our marriages, our friendships, how we act in the workplace. It informs our dreams and vision for the future, the things we get educated in, how we treat our parents. Um, like the list goes on and on. Like it, it should actually make a change in our life that this is, a, this is an obedience thing. It's a following thing. It involves all that we are so that we are not sitting in these chairs year after year, decade after decade, just all about just knowledge. Fill me with more knowledge. It's like if God could just take a USB stick and just stick it in my brain and be like, oh, good, like I am fully a Christian now because I know it all. Well, how, how many of you have experienced somebody who has called themselves a Christian, that they may know a lot and you've been profoundly hurt by them or wounded by them? Maybe you attended a church. Maybe it was this church, right? And you just go, oh, really? Like, it seems like they know a lot about Jesus, but their life hasn't been shaped or formed by Jesus. And so, um, and so we want to be apprentice to Jesus. I, some of you will know that uh, my favorite image, and I, and I will continue to use it in the future, and my favorite image of apprenticeship to Jesus is um, the image of the Karate Kid, right? The movie. And um, it's just my, one of my favorite movies as a kid. Um, I just have these images of, uh, I remember just, I have an image of my childhood. I was dressed up in like my, um, like a Halloween. I, I never took karate, karate. I never, I never took it. And so I had my little, I just was like a Holly, uh, Hollywood, Halloween uh, outfit on of karate. And I remember just my mom shopping um, and putting like cans into the shopping and you know, walking behind her, but I'm like chopping things and doing my little kid, you know, maybe I'm five or six years old. And, and, um, and I just remember he was my hero, Daniel LaRusso, you know, and some of you know the story. Um, uh, Daniel LaRusso moves from New Jersey to California. He's the new kid at the high school. He gets picked on by this group of other kids from this dojo, this karate dojo, and, and Johnny and his friends. And he's get, Daniel's getting picked on. And, and, and one night he's getting beat up uh, when he is actually saved by this neighbor of his. His name is uh, a Japanese guy named Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi kind of comes out of nowhere and starts kicking the bad guys and... and, uh, and um, Kicking the bad guys. Clearly, I'm not, I never took karate, but anyway. Um, so, so, you know, he comes in, he's the hero, and, and then he offers to bring Daniel on as an apprentice, right? To, to, to show him um, uh, his, his, what he knows about karate. And so, so anyway, you'll know that Daniel gets a little confused because it's confusing training, right? So it's like waxing a car, you know, painting a fence, balancing on a boat, clipping away at a bonsai plant. And, uh, you know, and Daniel's kind of like, like, when are we getting to the karate part, you know? And, and the whole time, the, the, the point is, Mr. Miyagi's like, this is the karate part, right? You're, be, you're becoming an apprentice. Like, it, it involves your whole body. It invo involves your whole life. And, uh, and so you'll know the famous moment, uh, moment, waxing the car, you know, wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Wax on, wax off. Breathe in through nose, out the mouth. Wax on, wax off. Don't forget to breathe. Very important, right? This is the most famous line of the movie. So even if you haven't seen the movie, you'll know that, right? Wax on, wax off. And so Daniel is watching, 
and, and living out every move Mr. Miyagi makes. And so it's not just head knowledge, it's put into practice and you know at the very end against Johnny, the crane, it was put into practice into Johnny's face. Amazing ending of the movie. So, uh, and again, if you haven't seen it, 1984, right? Like you should have seen it already, 1984, that's when it came out. Okay, so what, so what does an apprentice uh, of Jesus look like? So. What, what does it mean to be apprenticed by Jesus? What does that look like? How, like, how does it move from just knowledge into, into transforming our lives? Well, that's what these next four weeks are all about, is to recast that vision of what Jesus wants to do in our life. And, and we kind of have this idea that there's different tiers of Christianity or levels of Christianity. And so you start at 101, and you know, you got the basics, and then you move up to tier number two. Um, you're a little bit more obedient, a little bit more in tune to Jesus, and you just keep moving up that thing, and then, and then probably the church is gonna ask us for more money at like level four or five, and then, and then, set, and then you know, and then, uh, and then we know that as you climb that ladder, clearly the top, um, when you've made it as a Christian, is when you're a missionary right? And especially a missionary somewhere else, uh, like in a jungle or something, right? Like that's like, that is truly an apprentice of Jesus. The rest of us, we're just still struggling. We're floating around in our secular West trying to figure it out, right? Is that really the image of apprenticeship? No, like not at all. Like we have to get that image which I probably just enforced by using it, but uh, we have to get that image of a tier system out of our heads, right? That is not it at all. This is an invitation into relationship where all of us come broken, right? Each one of us comes broken, empty, ready to be filled with the Spirit of God, ready to be transformed by Jesus. The missionary in the jungle will tell you that they are broken and in great need of Jesus every day to be filled with him and to continue to go back to the shop and to learn the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. So Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. So this is the invitation that Jesus gives you to come and to receive his life, his forgiving, his transforming, his redeeming, reworking, reviving, abundant and eternal life. So we take the next four weeks to look at four of the movements. Movement one, come. Movement two, next week, follow me. Movement three, I will make you. And movement four, fishers of people. We're gonna unpack what Jesus means when he invites us to come. So today, come. Come. An apprentice of Jesus is loved by Jesus. The first thing you need to hear. And by the way, if this is your first Sunday in church, you nailed it. It's awesome. This is like the best first week ever to come to church. Come. This is what you need to hear. You are loved by Jesus. Come. So is this invitation really for me? You might be asking. Is this invitation really for me? For some of you who have followed Jesus for like four decades, you've come dry You've come weary? You've had a lot of hardship in your life? Are you asking that same question? Really? <laughs> After all these years, is the invitation still for me? Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read starting in verse 12. We'll read verses 12 to 16. Luke 6, 12 to 16. And if you didn't bring your Bible, it'll be on the screen. We pick up 
at a moment when Jesus uh, has called a lot of people to follow him. And, and, but he, he takes a moment and he goes away to pray. And, and he's going to think about who are, are 12. He's going to pick 12. And, and it's important. I'll explain it why in a second. But he's going to pick 12 uh, individuals to kind of be leaders amongst those that, that are following him. And, and I want you to see the list of who he picks. So, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So this is the word of the Lord. All right, well, let's take a look at these 12 followers of Jesus. Let's, let's take a look at them. We've done this before, and I want us, I want us to, to, to see it again um, a year later. I want us to see this group of people. Remember, first of all, he's calling fishermen, right? The, look, at, look at some of the names in that list. He's calling fishermen. So Simon, who's called Peter, uh, Andrew, James, and John. These, these guys are fishermen, and they're from an area called around the Sea of Galilee. And so this would have been in northern part of what we'd consider Israel, northern part of Israel. In the south was an area called Judea. But in the north, they're in, they're in Galilee. Now you need to know these guys, that, you know, they're fishermen. So they've got, they've got really tough hands. They're, um, they're lower class. They're, they're kind of country guys. They're blue collar. They're not high society. They're not spoiled brats. They've got Johnny Cash on their iPod. They probably drove like a Ford or Chevy pickup truck. Um, you know, when guys like me who drink coffee all day and type uh, shake their hands, our hands break in their hands, right? They just got those like hard hands. And, um, you know, they know what a good, honest, hard day's work is. And, but, but they would have known that they themselves would have probably been looked down upon by other, by other Jews, other, other people in, in, in the culture, because they would have been a bit uncultured. They would have been unschooled, uh, simple folk. But Jesus looks at these four fishermen and he says, come. The kingdom of God, what God is doing, it's for you. Come, come follow me. Next, he calls a guy named Levi, and Levi is a tax collector. Levi's name is then changed to Matthew, so you'll see his name is Matthew on the list. But Levi is a tax collector. Um, some of you will know that the Roman Empire, uh, when it conquered a particular land, didn't collect its own taxes. What it did, and this is kind of actually brilliant, it sold the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder. So, in Israel, um, in Judea, and in, and in Galilee, so the Roman Empire would come in, and they would wait for the, the kind of wealthy Jewish families or um, wealthy Jewish groups to put in the highest bid. And if uh, you won the contract, then you would get to collect taxes in the area. But picture what that means. That means you're a Jew collecting taxes for Rome from other Jews, right? What does that make you? A traitor, right? A traitor. And, uh, and not only are you a traitor because you're collecting revenue, but, you, but you're, you're keeping a lot of it to yourself. So tax collectors were quite wealthy, and their wealth comes from taxing the poor. And these are your own people, right? These are your brothers and sisters. This is Israel. So one Jew taxing another Jew, and benefiting off of it. And just so you know, when 
tax collectors, it wasn't just like the CRA and you get a letter in the mail, right? Like this, that's not the way it works, right? A guy would show up to your door, you know, and he would have lots of muscles, right? And he's like, I'm going to enforce the payment of taxes. Like you get a black eye here if you actually can't give me the money that you're owed, right? So that's the enforce. So it involved violence. Remember, these are Jews, violent against their own people. You can, you can see the way, uh, you, know, you know, a common, you know, a peasant, common Jew would have seen these tax collectors. They're traitors. They use violence against us. And, and they're getting wealthy on our, you know, from our own funds. So they're working for the man. They're working for the empire. Some of you will know that in World War II, um, uh, w- uh, with the Nazis, there were British, French, and Dutch citizens that worked in collaboration with the Nazis. Well, after World War II, I mean, th- like, it was not good news for them, right? They, they were traitors against their own British people, against their own French people, their own Dutch people, right? Not good news. Now, now just so you know, these, these tax collectors were probably not allowed to attend their local synagogue. In the local synagogue, which is, by the way, a blend of a church and a community center. So picture kind of North Langley and Walnut Grove Community Center combined, you know. That's kind of the picture of like a, a, of a synagogue. It's like, the, it's like the center of life. This is where life happens. And so a, a tax collector would have been banished from the local synagogue. So Jesus looks at Levi, whom he calls Matthew, and he says, you can come. What do you think that would have been like? So you can come. Next, Jesus calls Simon, who's a zealot. He's a zealot. Just a reminder of who the zealots were. They were a paramilitary group. Uh, revolution was in the air, um, so Jews don't like uh, the Roman Empire, obviously. They would have been, imagine you're going to the market and all you see are Roman soldiers around you, uh, Roman soldiers patrolling everywhere. They're just this, the, the, you would just see the empire everywhere you walked around. And so there was this sense in which we wanted Jewish freedom. We want, we want freedom from the empire. And so zealots, a zealot is kind of an umbrella term. If you look historically, there's different subgroups that can fall under uh, the umbrella term of zealot. And these guys are nationalistic. They're, they're prone to violence. Um, they're willing to die for king and country. So again, they're patriotic, they're violent, they're zealous. Um, I, I've said this before, but under that umbrella term zealot is a group called the Sakari. The Sakari are known to, um, to, to carry a, a, like a Persian curved knife under their, uh, under their cloak. This is like cloak and dagger stuff. And in broad daylight, they would be known to slit the throat of a Roman soldier or a, or a Jewish uh, person who is sympathetic to the empire. You know, they'd slit the throat, put the dagger back in their cloak and blend into the crowd. That, they were called the Sakari. And, and they were freedom fighters for the Jewish people, right? These are the people willing to put their life on the line to get the, the Romans out of here. And so here's Simon the Zealot. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, come, you can be part of this. Simon has no idea uh, what he's getting himself into when it comes to the peace of the kingdom of God. But he's invited to come. You can come, come and join. And just FYI, Simon the zealot would despise Levi the tax collector. Just so you know. You're like, you know, there's a lot of fighting in churches these days. And Jesus is like, it started that way. Trust me. <laughs> there's, there's nothing new. Nothing new on the scene here. Like, it started that way. And then, then there's a guy named Bartholomew, which is an amazing name. I love Bartholomew. Bartholomew, who in the book of John, it, we think is the same person as, of Nathaniel. That Nathaniel and Bartholomew, a theologian, say is the same person. And, and you remember last week, if you were here last week, we saw that 
that Bartholomew, Nathaniel, um, hears that Jesus is from Nazareth. And what does he do instantly? He's cynical. He's absolutely cynical. Like, can anything good come from a small town like Nazareth? Right, he's cynical. And then there's a little moment in the story that we didn't look at last week. He says, Jesus says to him, oh, when he sees him, he says, he looks at Nathaniel, Bartholomew, and says, now there's a true Israelite. And Nathaniel's like, okay, I can follow you. Right? It's like one compliment. He's like, I'm in. I'm, I'm, in, I'm doing this. I'm going to follow this guy anywhere. Um, and so, so he's cynical, but he's also kind of fickle. Right? And so Jesus looks at him and he says, come, you can come. And then John, who is John? Well, well, some scholars say that John was probably a teenager. And so Jesus looks at this teenage boy and he's like, you can come. Be part of this group. Come follow me. So this is Jesus, the youth pastor, right? Um, he does youth ministry. For all of you who are youth in the room, he invites you to come and to be part of the kingdom of God. Peter would later deny Jesus. Thomas would later doubt Jesus. Judas would later betray Jesus. And he calls all of them. And he knows all of it. He knows this is going to happen, but he calls them. Come on, Peter. Come on, Thomas. Come on, Judas. And then in the list, there's a few boring guys that we don't know anything about. And the message is, are you boring? <laughs> you can come too, right? Like Jesus welcomes you. Say, I'm boring. I don't have much going on. That's all right. You're welcome to come. Be part of the kingdom. So it's a motley crew. It's a motley crew. And so fisherman, tax collector, a zealot, a teenager, the cynical guy, the denier, the doubter, the betrayer. And Jesus looks at all of them, very normal, all very normal, all very broken, all very lost, some violent, a bunch of sinners to experience God's new world order, his shaping, his, the kingdom of God had come. This is where God would be king and, he, and invites all of them to come experience it. And the message here today, North Langley, is that you're invited into that. That for 2,000 years, for 2,000 years, God's been calling a bunch of broken, beat up, messed up sinners to come follow him. And you're invited to join in. Just a quick note, I need to make a few caveats here really quick. Why 12 and why 12 men? What is the deal there? Well, just so you know, this is very intentional on Jesus' part. If you know the story in the book of Genesis uh, of a man named Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons um, had families, really big families. And, and from these 12 sons, this, this was the people of Israel, right? Out of these 12 sons grew the people of Israel. And so it's very intentional that Jesus picks 12 men. Uh, why? Because what is he doing? He's continuing the story of Israel. He's, he's confirming the covenants to the people of Israel. But how you join will be very new. Right? It'll, be, it'll be not based on ethnicity, but it's welcoming people into this family. And so when you see 12 men, you should see the new work that Jesus is doing continuing God's ancient project. By the way, that's a really big topic, and we could spend a lot of time there. But I just want you to see he's continuing the covenants, the covenants made to Abraham, the covenants made to David, and so on. He's continuing it through these 12 men. But you need to know, God called many women, Jesus called many women to come be apprentices of his, to be disciples of his. There's a powerful story of a group of uh, two sisters named Mary and Martha. And, and it's a really misunderstood story. Um, it, you know, we sometimes read this story about Mary and Martha and think about um, tasks, you know, 
uh, to do or versus prayer, a life of prayer and being in front of Jesus. But the story is these two uh, sisters are there. Martha is preparing stuff for Jesus. Jesus has come to their home. And so she's like preparing food and getting things ready. Whereas Mary, her sister, is just hanging out in the living room with Jesus, right? And, um, and Jesus uh, tells Martha that like Mary has chosen the better, the better way, the better path right? Well, what does that mean? Well, this really isn't just about like doing things or like being in front of Jesus, although there might be some lessons there. This is actually Mary having the posture of a disciple at a, at a time when, when women would not have received the education that men would have. Jesus is delighted to, to, to be a rabbi and to teach women just like he does e- equally as he does with men, right? It's a beautiful moment. And so he actually tells Martha, Mary has chosen apprenticeship. She's chosen discipleship. She's chosen to follow me. I'm delighted to be a rabbi and to train her, to teach her. And Martha, you're welcome as well. You don't have to stay in the kitchen, Martha. Come, be an apprentice, be a disciple. It's a beautiful story. So Jesus calls, he calls a woman uh, uh, who had been uh, demon-possessed, and Jesus heals her, and she had been on the margins of culture, and he calls her to follow him as a follower, as a disciple. And he calls women who are in business to follow him. So from the opposite end, so a businesswoman all the way to a woman who had been marginalized and demon-possessed, right? He calls all of them, come, follow me. Be a part of this group of people that are learning the ways of the kingdom. And by the way, another quick aside, it was normal for someone at that time, a, a Jewish student, to approach a rabbi and to say, hey, can you mentor me? You know, uh, can you teach me? But notice what Jesus does. He turns the tables. He's the one who approaches, right? He's the one who is calling people to follow him. It's all about his invitation. And notice, a good friend of mine pointed this out to me. He said, you need to remember that all the invitation is to, for, to come is, is into community. Jesus is never calling someone into Lone Ranger Christianity. It's always into community. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. It is not good for Adam to be alone but to have community, right? And so this is, this is what it's about. This is not just me and Jesus. I am forced to deal with my brothers and sisters that this is, a, that you all, that this is my family. This is where I'm gonna grow as an apprentice of Jesus. You see, Simon the Zealot and Levi the tax collector had to follow Jesus in the same community. It couldn't just be like, oh man, no, I cannot deal with Levi the tax collector, Simon the Zealot says, right? It's just about you and me, Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh. It's about the 12 of you together, learning to love one another as I've loved you. Uh, There's a beautiful moment when when God calls Israel, and and, uh, in Deuteronomy 7, we're reminded of, of the calling of the people of Israel. Listen to this. The Lord did not set his affection on you, Israel, and choose you, Israel, because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. Isn't that beautiful? It was because the Lord loved you. He just loved you. It wasn't because you had anything great going for you. He just loved you. And we see that love displayed at the cross. And you, and you see Jesus' arms stretched wide open. They're pierced. The blood flows And in that moment, he's dying for the world, giving up his life for the world. But look at his arms. They're inviting arms. They're outstretched for you. We look at the cross and, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast and measured, boundless free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. 
I'm going to stay standing like this because I like the image of Christ the Redeemer at Mount uh, Corcovado in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. It's reminding the city of Rio de Janeiro that there's one who stands just like this, arms open, totally open for any who would come. You see, there's other statues in the world. There's statues of guys with swords and guys with machine guns and stuff like that, guys with their military outfit on. But here's, here's one who stands with his arms wide open. And, and notice the vulnerability, right? Vulnerable, ready to love, ready to welcome. This is the message to the world. And don't lose yourself in that message to the world. Because many of us go, yeah, we know he loves the world, but does he really love me? Yeah, 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 I know he loves the world. Does he really love me? And the answer is yes, he loves you. And he says in Matthew 11 to all his apprentices, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a beautiful picture. He says, when you become an apprentice of mine, just like uh, oxen that have a yoke on their shoulders, he says, when you wear my yoke, it's like I'll do all the heavy plowing. I'll plow that field. I'll take, I'll take all of it upon my own shoulders. For some of us who have followed Jesus for a while, we get to a place where we start putting on our own yoke. And we're like, I'm gonna plow this field, right? And we end up dry, weary, fearful. And we're like, what happened? What happened? I mean, we, we, we put on our own yoke and we began to plow that field in our own strength. And, and the message today, this is not just for people who are new to Jesus. This is for those of you, again, who have followed Jesus for decades, who are just going, I need to hear that again. <laughs> over and over again, come, come, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, it's it's going to be a joy for the next four weeks to hear four different stories. Um, I'd love to invite Caitlin up on stage. Um, she's going to share her story with you. And it's just really fun because uh, some of you have heard some of this material before. You've heard about come, follow me, I'll make you, fishers of people. But what we want to do this year, which is a little bit different, is to actually have a story every week. So for the next four weeks, you're going to hear four different stories of somebody who in this past year... Um, not forever ago, this is just all in the last year, someone in the last year who has, um, who has really experienced one of these four movements. And so, can we welcome Caitlin on stage? Oh, oh. hi. <laughs> so when I thought about come um, and just that, that idea of this radical invitation of Jesus to first experience his love, I thought of Caitlin. And Caitlin um, was going to tell you a little bit more of her story, but um, Caitlin, I'm just so encouraged that you, wanted to, that you said yes to, to speaking today. It's intimidating, lots of people. Thanks. <laughs> um, and so I guess the first question I have for you is, um, you know, tell, tell me about the experience of you first coming to North Langley. What was that like? How did you feel? Um, tell us about the process. Yeah, um, okay, so uh, I have three children, and one is eight, one is six, one is three. <laughs> uh, and so when I was pregnant with my first child, I had gone to uh, a friend's funeral, and he passed away, and he left two very beautiful young children. And so in that moment, there was something there that it was just like, you know, if that was to happen to me, 
where would my children be at night? Would they be crying alone in their bed? Who would be there to comfort them? Who would be there to like wrap their arms around them and just tell them that they are always loved and keep them safe? And if I wasn't there, who would do that for them? And so that kind of got me thinking that, you know, it might not be a living person. It might be something bigger than that. Uh, and so I kind of like shopped around for churches and, uh, and went to a few. And when I walked through the doors of NLCC, it was kind of like, yeah, I think this is the place. Um, I like to sing and uh, the worship music is beautiful. And what's really neat is when I come, I get to share it all with you. And this is the community, right? And so I was like trying to think of how can I get you guys to understand where I was at. And this is like, oh, like I just said yes to, to Jesus like in April. So this wasn't that long ago. Uh, so for five years, I would come and I would sit in the back and I would listen at Matthew and I would watch everybody like, you know, raise their hands to God and say, like, welcome, in, welcome uh, him into your lives. And I would watch all of this. And it would be like as if, um, have you ever gone to the airport in the arrival section and you stand there and you wait and you're with everybody else anticipating the arrival of your loved one and like that feeling inside? I would kind of sit back and I would be like, that's how I would feel when I would come to church. I felt like I was waiting for the arrival of the loved one. And where you guys, everybody else already had that, maybe because in my mind, you were born into like the Christian faith or you had some like really crazy thing happen in your life that you needed to like have someone help you and it turned out to be Jesus and God. Whereas I kind of sat in that like boring space. <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess I'm gonna be part of the boring crew. But, and I didn't know, I was like, am I worthy for this? Like, do I have to have something really monumental happen in my life for me to like say yes to Jesus, say yes to God? And so I would sit in the arrivals for a long time, for five years. And I have a friend and my friend said to me, one day she came over and she said, like, I know you like your life. And I'm like, yeah, like, I love my life. Like, I love my family, my friends. Like, I got everything going for me is what I felt like. And she said, what if I could tell you that your life would actually be better? And I, I was like, okay, I'm an optimist. I was like, well, I can't say no to better. Who can say no to better? So I said, okay, fine, fine. What? Okay, okay. And she's like, well, can we pray? And I, I was like, like right, right here, right now, like you with me here, so awkward, like so awkward. And so I was like, all right, okay, let's just do this. And then so we prayed, and this was like maybe for, maybe we prayed for like five minutes, okay? And after we prayed, I sat there, and I was like waiting for some experience to happen. And I looked at her, and I was like, this is not it. Like, this is not it. And, and I was like, maybe this is just going to be my journey. I'm just going to sit in the arrival section. And then she's like, let's pray again. And so she prayed and she laid her hands on me and she said, she said, God, please talk to Caitlin and like help her figure out like what is this, what is this barrier that's holding her back? And I'm not kidding you guys. When I say that like the Lord said to me, to me, come because you are enough. I don't have to be him. You don't have to be me. Just come because you are enough. And, and in that moment, like, that was it. How could I say no to that? And so that was where the penny dropped for me. That, that was it. That was my moment. And then it wasn't me sitting in the arrival at the back of the church anymore. It was like, it wasn't even me waiting for God and Jesus to come. It was like, 
It was like me coming down the elevator at YVR, the doors open, and you know who's there? It was Jesus with his arms like stretched open, ready to love me unconditionally, wrap his arms around me so that it was like my new life. And like we hopped in the car together, he took the driver's seat, I took the passenger seat, and that's kind of been it since April. And it, it, it's not like these crazy things that are now happening in my life, but it's these little tiny moments that I'm seeing a change in my own life and the way that I am accepting love and the way that I am loving other people. So that's, that's kind awesome. of it. Yeah. yeah. Caitlin, um, yeah, you did use, uh, final question, like you did use a really cool image of that novel. And do you wanna share that? Yeah. yeah, so right like right now, what I feel like I'm in is like the first five pages of like a new story or like a new book. And I'm just gonna sit in those pages for a while until I fully like comprehend what that means. And that's kind of like the space that I'm in. I almost feel like a little kid, you know, when you like read the same book over and over and over to your children, that's kind of me in the first five pages. And I am a-okay to sit in the first five pages of my new book. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Caitlin. Thank you so much. I love that. That was just April, right? That was just in April. And, um, and Caitlin, we're just delighted. We're so delighted about this new journey with Jesus and, and uh, that you had a friend uh, that was willing to point you to Jesus. And it's so amazing. And I'm just, I, I love it. And, I, and you heard Caitlin use the phrase, when did the penny drop for you? You notice she came for five years. She kept coming. And, and it was that moment when, when a friend, you know, wrapped her arms around her, and she prayed. And it was the, the moment that the penny dropped. You know, that, that phrase, penny drop, comes from England, 1930s. There were these little, um, little machines that a little caricature would come to life, you know, sing a song or whatever, dance, I don't know, something. These little British boxes. <laughs> and so you put a penny in, but sometimes the penny doesn't fully go down, right? You kind of hear, it gets stuck. But when you hear the penny go, the penny drops, then, the, then it comes to life, right? This little animated, uh, you know, this little, puppet or something comes to life. And that's where we use the phrase, when did the penny drop? And, and I guess I want to use that expression here to say, when did the penny drop for you? When did it finally click, as it did with Caitlin that day praying with her friend, that, that God, yes, God loves the world, but that God loves you. That God, yes, God is calling all people, you know, Rio de Janeiro, big statue, but that it's actually for you. He loves you. He made you in his image and cares about you. Even in your broken story, he loves you. When did the penny drop? For me, um, some of you at North Langley, you'll know this story, um, but I want to share this for, for mostly for those of you who are brand new or just first time to hear it. I, for me, the penny dropped when I was 18 years old. I was at a camp. Um, I had grown up in a Christian family. I had heard a lot about the truth of Jesus, but when I was 18, I had graduated from high school summer of 1998, um, and I was going to get on a plane in a couple months to fly to this land of frozen tundra and reindeer or something, Canada. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm from the States, you know, from Oklahoma, and I was like, okay, going to go to this new land. But I had several months off, right, in the summer, and so I became a volunteer. I was a volunteer at a camp called Camp Barnabas. It's a wonderful Christian camp for kids with disabilities, and, and it's a one-to-one -one thing, so, you know, it's one counselor for one, one kid, and my kid's name was Josh. He was in a wheelchair. He was uh, nonverbal, and he was just an amazing guy. Loved Josh. Had a great time with him all week, and and, uh, and at the very end, he, uh, he, he 
we, we just had such a great relationship that um, the, the final night, you know, he had gone to bed, and, um, and I, I had found myself alone, just kind of on this wooden floor, and I kind of knelt down on the wooden floor, and I was just um, recognizing how much I loved Josh. And it's like I felt I heard God's voice, and it's not an audible voice, right? Those of you who know these experiences, you know, it's not audible, but it's like you feel this deep sense of, like, at this question that resonates in your core, and it was like, Matthew, do you love Josh? And I'm like, yeah, I totally love Josh. You know, how much do you love him? I love him so much. And a follow-up question was, what has Josh done for you? And I was like, nothing. He didn't cut my carrots. He didn't brush my teeth. Didn't take me to the pool. Didn't take me on the ropes course or canoeing. I did that for him, right? And, uh, and he said, but you love him. And, and there was this sense in which there was this moment, and this is when the penny dropped for me. I was 18. And God goes, that's exactly the way it is with you and me, right? Like, there's nothing that you have done. You can't earn this, right? And yet I love you so deeply. And it was almost like this love I had for Josh, I could feel just a drop of the love God had for me, right? And I understood grace for the first time. This is not about me earning my apprenticeship to Jesus. This is about his grace in my life. So there, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a singer, singer uh, who passed away. He's a Christian singer-songwriter named Rich Mullins. And there's a little line that I love. He says, behold, the king of Israel loves me here in America. It's a beautiful little line. Behold, the king of Israel loves me here in America. And that really represents that moment. I was 18, 1998, Missouri, Camp Barnabas. Behold, the king of Israel loves this kid, Matthew, in America. And, and later on in that song, Rich Mullins writes, If I were a painter, I do not know which I'd paint, the calling of the ancient stars or the assembling of the saints. He says, man, if I had a canvas and I knew how to paint, I don't even know where I'd start. Would I start trying to paint the moment when God called the universe together and formed the galaxies and the stars and God lit up the night sky with his beautiful stars? Or, or would I paint the moment when God called a bunch of broken sinners together and formed them together as this family and called them the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones? And, and, and there they are. Look at the beauty. Look at them. Look at them. Look how beautiful they are. And so he says, I, I, I don't even know where I'd start. How would I start to paint? The calling of the ancient stars or the assembling of the saints? Some of us wonder, you know, are we good enough to be called into that? And C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia series, says it this way, the Christian does not think God will love us because we're good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Just remember, it's the call first. That we start with the call. The call to come, to come and be part of his family. And then he'll shape us and form us. Some of us are stuck. We're stuck in a picture of what I would like to call worm theology, you know? I'm just a miserable worm, you know, and I'm just, uh, I'm the worst, and I'm too far gone, and I'm too far addicted, and I can't get back, and I'm too stuck, and I'm worthless, right? It's worm theology. And Jesus just, his arms are open. He goes, no, 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 no. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about his power later, but I have all the power in the world to rescue, to wrap my arms around you, to hold you, to redeem you, to restore you, to give you life. The invitation is like this. And for some of us, we just feel like, oh, we call it the bored parishioner approach, right? 
We're just kind of bored. We're like, yeah, 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 Matthew, honestly, you took a whole Sunday to talk about the love of God again? Like, we've heard about the love of God. It's like, come on. Like, let's go deeper. Let's do a series on something controversial. Let's do a series on, like, Ezekiel or something deep or something, you know, prophetic or whatever. And, uh, and why do we want that? Well, you know, by the way, those things could be cool. <laughs> I'm not opposed to those things. But there's this sense in which it's, we're going, we've become bored with the love of God. It's, it's become white noise for many of us who have followed Jesus. And I just want to say the refreshing, life-giving, pouring out of the spiriting, <laughs> that's not a phrase, um, just the love of God is at work in this room and is here for you. So no matter how dry you are, um, no matter how bored you've become of the love of God, he's welcome to wrap his arms around you again and to restore you. Remember, this is not a one-time thing. This is not just the first moment that you give your life to Jesus. It's all the time. It's an all-the-time thing. This week, my life, words to describe it, messiness, foggy-headedness, confusing thoughts, and those are nice and vague to say in front of a group of hundreds of people. And uh, he says, Matthew, come. Come. This is for you. Come once again, and I'll fill you with my life. As the, as the, as the worship team comes on stage, I want to ask you a question. I want to end with this question. Where is your next step taking you? Where's your next step taking you? Because on this journey of apprenticeship to Jesus, your next step is the most important one, right? Because every step is a vote. You're voting for something and you're voting against something else with every step you take. And what Jesus says with his arms stretched out is come, take that step. No matter how little, how big, just to come towards him. What does that look like? It looks like being welcomed into some community. Come, be part of this family. You've heard some options. Aaron, Robbie, and Sue talked about some earlier. We have a pamphlet all throughout the church. When you guys leave, when you walk out of these doors, you're going to see it. You can go online to see them. But, but this, this is not a moment like a real right-hand turn where suddenly Matthew talks about programs. That's not it. We want our programs here at the church to be spaces of family life where we taste what it means to be in relationship with each other, where Simon experiences what it's like to love Levi, right? The, the, these are the spaces, and so for some of us, we'll come to Alpha. That'll be our first step. For some of us, we'll attend Freedom Session to get freed up from the ways in which we're stuck in life. That'll be a place of community and growth. For some of us, it'll be a life group to first say, I wanna be part of a circle of people who love Jesus together and care for one another. For some of us this morning, it'll be, coming to our prayer room and saying, you know, I've followed Jesus for 40 years, but I'm dry and I just want him. I want him. I want to know that love again. I want to be refreshed by God's spirit again. Um, no matter where you're at, come. What, wh where's your next step taking you? Because every step is a vote for apprenticeship or away from it. So where's your next step taking you? Let's stand together. Let's stand and let's pray together. Jesus, we come and we thank you that you, with your arms stretched open, uh, have called us into a life, your life. And we pray that right now as we sing, as we lift up our voices to you, God, that you would, um, that you would show us where our next step needs to be taken. God, show us where are you calling us to? What are you calling us to? But God, first and foremost, may we receive your love. And God, we know that that is, um, is a thing that, uh, 
that those experiences, those moments of, of, of refreshing belong to you. And so we pray that you in great authority would move throughout the room as we sing, that you would remind many of us who are dry, weary, fearful, broken of your great love. So come Holy Spirit, we love you, amen.